Wow, things must really be going well in Corinth. I mean, the way Paul starts this letter, it sounds like the congregation in this city is basically the model early church community. The one every other aspiring group better come and visit to see how things ought to be done. Paul is gushing all over the place. Just look at how he addresses these people. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They've been given God's grace abundantly and in every way are enriched in Jesus. They have speech and knowledge of every kind. They're practiced in testimony. They are not lacking any spiritual gift. They have the promise of God's faithfulness, strengthening them and guiding them now and always, even to the end. That is some way to say hello, don't you think? The way Paul starts this letter, it sounds like he is writing to a mature, fully formed, well-functioning, well-taught, vibrant, faithful community. It is the kind of group you imagine everybody wanting to join. Who wouldn't want to be part of a community so saturated in gifts, so thoroughly blessed? Some of you know where this is going. Because if you have read any further than verse 9 of chapter 1, any, any further than our reading today, you know that the church in Corinth is not, in fact, a shining model community for all others to forever emulate. No, it's actually a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad mess. Here is a sample list of some of the items on the church council agenda around the time Paul wrote this letter. There were factions springing up with various groups claiming superiority based on who had baptized them. There were heated debates about the sort of foods that could be eaten in the community. There were troubles at communal meals with some gorging themselves and others leaving hungry. There were arguments about sexual morality. There were hierarchies developing with those holding impressive gifts, elevating themselves above those with less obvious ones. From everything that we know about the little church of Corinth, it actually sounds like the sort of community you might visit one day and say, Hmm, maybe not. I think I'll try the next church down the road. Thank you very much. So what is Paul doing addressing them like this? This blessed, gift, gifted, holy community that he calls them sounds pretty different from what you might actually see if you joined them for their Wednesday evening potluck one week. What is Paul up to? I suppose you could take the cynical view and say he's just buttering them up a bit here, piling on some flattery before he really lets them have it. But I don't think that's the case here. Everything he says in this beautiful, extravagant introduction is true, just as all the challenging, difficult things he will say a little later are also true. Because that's how it is with the church of God that is in Corinth, or the church of God in any place, there is always more than meets the eye. I don't know about you, but I'm always a little invigorated by the start of a new calendar year, always encouraged by that blank page. It's a new year, an opportunity to start some things fresh, to focus on what's important and meaningful and true. And I think the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, which the lectionary offers us for the season of Epiphany, might help us to do that as a congregation. 
For one thing, any challenges that we might be facing start to look small after you spend a little time in Corinth. But more seriously, these chapters get to the heart of what's distinctive about the church. What does it mean to be a community gathered around Christ? What does it mean to live out this particular calling together, here and now, where we are today? Many in our congregation read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, this past autumn. And as I've been spending time with 1 Corinthians this past week, so much of that book has come to mind for me. I hope you won't mind if it pops up here and there in sermons to come. But back to our reading for today. There's a little phrase here, easy to miss, that I think can help explain how this rich and vibrant introduction goes along with the messy reality of daily life in this community. To the church of God that's in Corinth, Paul writes, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The folks gathered in that unremarkable house in that city, listening to this letter from their old teacher and friend read aloud, are not just one thing but two. They are sanctified and they are also called. I know those can sound like practically the same thing, made holy and called to be holy, but they're not the same thing, and both are important. You are holy, Paul says to those listening. You are claimed by God, redeemed by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, gifted by the Holy Spirit and set apart. You are not simply whoever the society around you says you are. You are who God says you are, you are holy. It helps to have in mind something of what the group in that first century living room looked like. Some were Jewish by background and familiar with the language and traditions of the faith. Others were non-Jewish and had previously known only the state religion with its many gods propping up the authority of the divine emperor. Some had financial resources and a high social standing. Most were from lower class backgrounds and were relatively poor. Some were educated, many were not. Many were free persons, some were likely slaves. And to this whole group, male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, Paul says without distinction, you are sanctified. I hope you see what a remarkable thing that is to say. The Greco-Roman world was steeped in divisions. Life was profoundly determined by knowing your place, knowing where you fit in the hierarchy and fulfilling the expectations that place put on you. To put such a deeply mixed group of people together in the same room would have been strange enough in first century Corinth. But to address them all in the same way as all holy, all equally called, and gifted and set apart for God's work, this would have been practically unthinkable. And yet there Paul goes, to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We cannot miss how profoundly empowering this must have been for some people. Imagine a poor laborer, someone told he would never be more than a hired hand, never worth more than the work he could do, being told he was holy, claimed and redeemed and set apart and gifted by God. Or imagine a widow with few resources, basically discarded by society, now being told the same. 
It could be the first time either of them heard that they were more than what others said they were. To hear they were of infinite value. To hear they were, in fact, gifted. It must have been life-giving, life-changing. It still is, in fact. I don't know if you woke up this morning feeling sanctified, feeling like someone God has embraced and gifted and called, but you are. Whether you've been on your best behavior this week or have made a mess of things, whether you are certain of what you believe or are bogged down with doubts and uncertainties, whether you feel you have much to offer to others or are struggling to find your purpose, it doesn't matter. You are sanctified because God says you are. You are precious to God. Because of what God has done in Christ, you are holy. So that's the first half of that little phrase, and the second is important too. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Yes, you are holy. Yes, you are gifted. Yes, you are set apart, Paul says. But you're also not done yet. You're not all you are ever going to be. You are called to be saints. This is a small window, but I think it is a window into where Paul is going with this letter. The church in Corinth is abundantly gifted. They have what they need. They have the promise of God's abiding love. And they also have plenty of growing to do. They have plenty to learn as, and discover as individuals and as a community about what it means to live out the calling placed on them. To become a community where the old divisions fade away, where the old hierarchies truly dissolve, where each person is valued and honored, where the strange wisdom of the cross truly shapes individual and common life. This is the journey of a lifetime. Yes, you're sanctified, Paul says, and you're also not all done yet. You're called to be saints. I find that an incredibly beautiful place for the church to be. On the one hand, we are abundantly blessed given all we need to be the community God means for us to be. We've been given speech and wisdom of every kind, gifts of all sorts, rich experiences, stories to share, skills and talents, one another's company for the journey. We have what we need. And on the other hand, we're not done yet. We have more to learn, more to discover, more to find in patterning our life around the love of God in Christ made known most fully in the cross. What a place to be, gifted and drawn forward, blessed and summoned to greater faithfulness, sanctified and called. Martin Luther wrote beautifully of this movement of the Christian life. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness, he said. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. So to the Church of God that is on the Bourg de Four in Geneva, Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Welcome to a new year.
By the grace given to us in Christ, we have all that we need. And by the grace of God, we are called forward together. You are part of that. Your neighbor is part of that. Together we've been gifted. Together we've been called. And together we have much to discover in the faithfulness of our God. Amen.